0: welcome to the sale street podcast we hope you enjoyed this week's message and for more information about our church visit salestreet.org makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love let's pray together well, Father, it's been our prayer the last couple of weeks that this passage in Ephesians 4 would be descriptive of us. So we continue that prayer. God, we want to be a church that is walking like Christ, a church that is united together, a church that realizes the ways that you've gifted us, and, and we're growing into the fullness of Christ. And so we know that we need you to make this happen among us. And so we're relying in faith that you will do this work, and we look forward to how you're going to do this work. God, we love you, and so often we have too low of a view of you and too low of a view of what you've called us to as a church, and so I pray that you would just kind of raise our expectations, lift our eyes so that we can really see how great and wonderful you are in all that you've called us to. God, we look forward to you. We can't wait to see what you're going to do, so I pray that you'd give us that faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And good morning everyone. Good morning. It's good to be with you, uh, especially if you're new to Sale Street. Welcome. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. We know we got a lot of new faces and we're thankful for you. We hope that you feel uh, loved and welcomed and if there's anything, any questions you may have or anything, I know I'd love to talk to you and any other leader here would love to talk to you. Um, for us in the last couple months, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians and if you're not familiar with the book of Ephesians, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus and to some of the other churches that were nearby. And in this letter, Paul is writing to them to them about what either they, they haven't realized before or maybe what they had forgotten. And so for us today, this might be true of some of us. Maybe there are some of us here who maybe you don't realize all that God has done for you. Maybe you don't realize how much God loves you. Or maybe there's some of us here who have gone through a difficult season of life and all of the, the difficulty of that has just uh, caused us to forget. And so in the first few chapters of Ephesians, Paul describes all the amazing things that God has done for us and, and all that we are now in Christ and he, he explains the unity that's been established in the church. And so if you haven't read the book of Ephesians, you got to read it. It really could change your life. And then at the end of chapter 3, Paul prays for us that we might have the inner strength to embody this new glorious reality. And he prays that God would be glorified in the church throughout all generations. And so then starting in chapter 4, he describes what this looks like for us practically in the everyday stuff of life, and he uses the metaphor of a body to describe the church. And so what we've been seeing the last couple weeks is is we've been seeing that a God-glorifying church Which is what we're after, right? This is who we want to be. A God-glorifying church is first called to walk in unity. He doesn't say sit. He doesn't say hide. He says walk, live in a manner worthy of our calling in verses 1 through 6. Because if we really believe the gospel, then we can't stay the same as we were before. And so remember what we talked about last week in that first verse, that word worthy has a connotation of weight. And so as if Paul is saying that the way a Christian lives should be of equal weight or balance to what we believe, right, to our eternal calling. And so that means our our manner of living, when, when people find out what it is that we believe, it should make sense to them, right? Like, oh, you believe that you were reconciled to God. Oh, you believe that God united us together in the church. Oh, you believe that God has graciously given you eternal life. Well then, oh, that makes sense while you're walking more and more like Jesus Christ. And so Paul says this manner of living, it's with Christ-like conduct in verses 2 and 3. He says it's with humility and gentleness and patience and love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then in verses 4 through 6, He lists out our common confession, all the oneness that we share in Christ. He says there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And so again, a God-glorifying church is called to walk in unity. And then secondly, we saw a God-glorifying church is called to serve in unity by giving of our diverse gifts because unity in the church doesn't mean uniformity, right? And we're not only called to, to be diverse in, in, in our backgrounds, in, our, in physically, culturally, all these different ways when we are in the church, right? We've got different ages, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different preferences, and all those things, and that's a beautiful thing. But here in this passage, Paul emphasizes and explains that we're also diverse in our spiritual gifting and responsibilities, and so, listen, we can't miss this, all right? So, if you've kind of tuned it out so far, I need you to come back in on this. We can't miss this. In verse 7, it says that everyone in the church is spiritually gifted by God in unique ways. Everyone. You remember that reference Paul made to Psalm 68? He said, it's like Jesus is this triumphant king who, who came to earth and he defeated sin and death. And as he ascended to heaven, it was like his great victory march. And as he did, he gave gifts. He said, he, he grace, he gave gifts to men. And those were our spiritual gifts that we might continue the work of Christ's mission on earth. And so listen, you're spiritually gifted and I'm spiritually gifted. And we're all called to ministry but the question is, why? That's the question we want to answer today. Why? And so if I asked you, what's the purpose of you having and using your spiritual gifts? What's the, the goal of all the ministry that we're called to do? What would you say? What would you think? Is it just to you know, grow a kind of a big crowd, have a lot of people in a service? Or is it to have kind of some measure of success that, that the American culture kind of tells us is Success, is, is, is that what all this is for? Well, hopefully you wouldn't think that, because in this passage today, we're going to see that the, the purpose and aim and goal of all the walking and all the serving and, and all of the ministering is ultimately for us, and this is the, the third point on that outline that we've been working through the last couple weeks, this is ultimately that we might grow in unity, maturing into the fullness of Christ. God wants us to grow he wants us to mature. And so the other day I was uh, talking with a friend of mine. They recently just had uh, their first baby, newborn baby, cute little baby boy, you know, despite the father, and hopefully he sees this online because uh, I like to mess with them on that. Uh, and so they had their first little baby boy, cute little baby boy. And, and I was talking to him about how special of a time it is i just reminiscing right thinking back on to when we had our first child and and i was telling them it's it's just such a special time it's such a meaningful time when you have your first child because everything that they do is is so exciting right every little moment of growth and maturity it's a cause for celebration and i know that there's difficult parts of it too right but god does this thing in our brains where he has us forget about all those things so we can have another child y'all know what i'm talking about Right, But every, th- every little moment is just so exciting and it's, it's such a cause for celebration. And so think about that, that first yawn that you saw, that first yawn. It's like all they're doing is yawning, but it's so exciting when you, when you see them yawn and when they make those little noises and, and when they sleep through the night for the first time, that's definitely cause for celebration. And, and when they say their first word and they take their first step and all those little things, what do we do? And we lose our minds as parents, right? And we're videoing every little moment, and we're posting it online like everybody cares as much as we do, even though we know they don't, but we don't care that they don't, right? Because we're so excited and we're so proud of, of all those little steps of growth, right? And with each step of maturation, we don't look at our kids and, and we don't say, like, that's it? <laughs> like, that's, that's all you can do, <laughs> right? Uh, I had to help you with that, right? You know, that's, that's it. We don't do that, right? No, we celebrate every little step forward. And so for me, even as my girls have gotten older, a feeling hasn't changed, right? I still still delight, still continue to to love seeing them grow and develop and mature into adulthood, which is ultimately a parent's job, isn't it? So our job as parents is to slowly and gradually help our kids grow up and not to stay childish, right? Because when they're two years old, it might still be cute for them to, to sit in a high chair for you to feed them, but it's not cute when they're 20 years old, is it? Right? We want them to grow and we want them to mature into adulthood. And so think about it. If as parents, we delight in our kids' growth, can you imagine how much more our Heavenly Father delights in our growth? And so you might think something like getting baptized. You might think of something like that as, like, that wasn't that big of a deal. That was just a little small step. I just got in some water. Somebody dunked me. But can you imagine how much joy it brought God, how much delight he felt when he saw you, how proud he was of you in that moment when you did that? Or you might not think of, you know, like setting aside time each day for Bible study and prayer. You might not think much of that. But can you imagine how much God celebrates that? as well as every act of generosity and every time we step up in leadership and every time we come alongside a younger brother and sister in Christ and help them grow and every time we reject that tendency to you know think everybody else around us should be doing ministry but it doesn't really matter if I do I think every moment of growth and every moment of development and maturity is delighted in by God and so this is God's church right we're his children And he wants us to grow in maturity in Christ. And so our passage today is going to help us with this. We're going to see two aspects of Christian maturity. Two aspects. The first is our process for maturity. Our process. The question here is, how has God designed the church to grow? And then secondly, our aim of maturity. The questions here are, what are we growing into? What are the goals And what are we ultimately aiming for? So again, the process and the aim. Let's start with our process for maturity. Let's pick up in verse 11. We'll hit 11 and 12. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. We talked about these roles last week, so you can go back and check if you need more of an explanation on these roles. But these were the leaders given to the church. And for what? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of of ministry and so there's two responsibilities with one great purpose for building up the body of Christ and so this is our process for maturity we've got leaders equipping and everyone ministering and so let's think about this leaders equipping everyone ministering what does it mean for the leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry all right, so this word equip, it means to make fit or to make ready or to get prepared. Or it can be translated also to mean to bring to an end or to finish or to make something complete. And so in other words, this idea of quipping is that we be developed and improved so that we can individually and collectively accomplish the purpose for our lives. And so one obvious illustration of this is of a sports team, right? You've got every player is coached and trained, and in some ways it's all the same, right? Some ways they're, they're all running the same drills, they're all working out, they're all learning the same plays, but in other ways it might be individual depending on each player's uh, position or role on the team. And then the more effective each player is at their specific role, the better the team is going to be when they're all working together. Or another illustration could be working on a home project which for me, I've done plenty of, thanks to years of limited income and YouTube videos, right? And so I've done lots of home projects. Some worked out well, some didn't. And the, the other day I was uh, working on some plumbing uh, under the kitchen sink. I was fixing some plumbing there. I was replacing the kitchen faucet. And even especially when it comes to plumbing, what do you do? You keep working until all the parts function properly, right? And so that's the idea of equipping. And so for us in the church, this is primarily done through sound teaching. That's how it's primarily done, right? And and it's through the preaching. It's through what happens in Sunday school classes. It's through one-on-one discipleship. But it's also through things like what we sing and how we resource the church. and, And really everything that we do, it's primarily through sound teaching. And so listen... I know that expository preaching, I know that it's not the most entertaining form of preaching, uh, but we got to remember that this time it it isn't to be an attractional thing, right? This is for equipping and it's for encouraging and it's for pointing us to the Lord. And so that's why whenever we open God's Word, whenever we gather together, it's not about how-tos, it's not about tricks and tips, about how to live a better life or all those things. We want us equipped in God's Word, because ultimately we realize that our giftedness comes from him, that our spirit, uh, his spirit is the one who empowers us, and that we're informed, trained, and corrected by his word. And so we're to be trained up, we're to be equipped by the word through sound teaching. And so we've got in the church, we've got church leaders given to the church, gifting the church. Not only to do the, the ministry themselves, right? While, while everybody watches, they're equipping while everybody is ministering so that everybody might fulfill their God-given purpose. And so I think over time, I think in the church we, we kind of messed up a little bit because we started to call pastors ministers whenever Ephesians says, no, everybody is a minister in the church, right? Right? And this, minute, this idea kind of makes some pastors a little a little nervous. You know, they're like, oh, we only want the ministry done by the professionals. We don't want you making it messy. Why don't want you messing it up? So let the professionals do it. But I'm going to tell you at Sales Street in this church, it's not going to be this way. That's not going to be the strategy for us, right? We're all called to use our gifts in whatever measure they're given. That's what Ephesians told us. God has gifted us in different ways, two different measures. It doesn't matter. So we're just going to use whatever he has given us because like Uh, like Lucas said earlier, we're all called to ministry. We're all called to evangelize and make disciples and help those in need and grow in a relationship with Jesus. And so we're all called to the work of ministry. And listen, let me explain this one. Not to the theorizing of ministry. And I'm kind of talking to the younger version of me here. You know, so for some of us, we like the idea of ministry more than the implementation of ministry. And so I remember years of especially the college years, you know, late nights, talking for hours, talking about church and the way it should be done. And if everybody could just see it like me, then we'd fix all the problems in church, right? How many of you have been there? I've had hours of those conversations, but all the while I was completely oblivious to the fact that I wasn't really doing any of it. And so only talking about ministry, that is not going to mature you. In fact, it might do the opposite. But the work of ministry, and that's what Paul calls it, the work of ministry will because when you do the work of ministry, all of a sudden you're going to see you, your studying of the Bible. It's going it's to increase quickly because you're going to realize you don't have all the answers. And your prayer life, it's going it's to grow because you're going to realize as you're working with people, you don't have the power to change them. You're going to be pleading with God. God, you've got to do something with this person. I've been spending hours getting nowhere. I need you to intervene. I need you to come. in. We're going to be interceding for people. And our desire for worship is going to grow because there are going to be times when God graces us, graces us with the opportunities to see lives changed. He's going to do a work and people are going to come to faith and, and grow in Christ and it's going to be just this gift. And if you've experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It makes it all worth it. Our worship is going to grow when we see and experience the power of Jesus Christ in his saving work. And so if church leaders, if, if we try to limit the ministry, then we're going we're gonna to be stunted in our growth. But also if everyone, if all the saints ignore the work of ministry, then we're also going to be stunted in our growth. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. It'll be on the screens for us. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. Peter says here, as each has received a gift. And so that's all of us. As each has received a gift. Use it, not for your own selfish gain, not to grow your own personal kingdom. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Have you ever thought about your gifting like that? That you've been given something to steward. Sometimes we talk about our money like that, but the same is true with our gifting. God has gifted you in a way. and If you're not using it, you're not being a good steward. And so he says, be a good steward of God's very grace. And he explains, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, and this is what it all leads to, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. And so we're all called, we're all gifted, we're all equipped for the work of ministry. And so for us as a church, we're gonna be leading in on this more and more. And as we do, I believe that we can expect great things from God. I believe that we can expect people coming to faith and, and being baptized. And we can expect people to be called to, to mission work and, then, and to go to the ends of the earth. We can expect small groups to, to be doing life together, right, more than just an hour on Sunday mornings, like every day of the week, life together, knowing each other and praying for each other and, and on mission together. We can expect these things. We can expect hundreds of disciple-making relationships, and we can expect the community around us to— to to, to be developed and to look more like the kingdom of heaven because of all the ministry that's going to be done. I mean, do we want to see this? Like, do we want to see this in and and through the church? Do we want to see this church? Do we want to see this church? Amen? Yes. Well, look, let me ask you, are you using what God has given you for ministry? And is ministry the main purpose for your life? And maybe for some of you, when you hear that, you're like, the main purpose of my life, I've got to, yes, according to God's word, the main purpose for your life. And if not, what might God be calling you to do? You need to know that you are gifted in a way that the rest of us aren't. There are certain ways that you can minister that the rest of us can't. There are certain people that only you can reach. And so for the body to grow, we need everyone. But also you need to know as well that for you to be fulfilled in life, then you need to, to do the work of ministry. You need to grow into the fullness of Christ. And for us, this isn't just like the topic for the week, you know? And I know we're kind of used to this. We're kind of used to coming together at this time. And, and whoever's preaching, whatever passage it is, they kind of talk about it like it's the most important thing that, that they've ever seen. And, and sometimes it's hard to know. Like, well, how do we do all of these things? But I'm telling you, when it comes to this, this isn't like a secondary matter in the church. This is a primary matter. This is central and crucial to our lives. And so this is the process for how we grow and mature. It's the process for for how we see God work in our lives. It's our process for knowing Him. And so again, this is the process for maturity. Leaders equipping, everyone ministering, and now the second aspect of Christian maturity. Our aim of maturity. What are we growing into? What direction are we headed in? And when does this equipping and ministering stop? Look at verse 13. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And so now this isn't going to be reached until the second coming of Christ, but if we don't have some kind of direction to go in, then, then we're not going to know what to strive for. We're not going to know where to go. And so this is the aim for our maturity. This is what all the walking and equipping and ministering is moving us toward. The first thing he says it's moving us toward is unity of the faith. Unity of the faith. In verse 5, we saw that, this, that we're called to one faith, right? And so that means that we're all to have a biblical understanding of Jesus and not one that we made up, right? We talked about this last week. And so even when we, we talk through church membership with people, we focus on this unity of the faith because Christianity isn't this all paths lead to heaven kind of faith. Jesus is the only way, and so it's important for, that, for us that we might know him well. And so this means that a mature Christian grows in theological depth, okay? Grows in theological depth. Now, if we pursue this in pride, it's going to lead to division. But if we pursue this in love, he says, it's going to lead us to unity. Because as I read this week, doctrinal conviction, this, this verse here is doctrinal conviction rooted in personal devotion. And so look, Paul connects unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. And so if you think back to when Paul prayed in in chapter 1 and chapter 3, he prayed that we might grow in a knowledge of Jesus. And so we talked about how that means that's more than just head knowledge. It's more than just facts to memorize. This is a personal and experiential knowledge and relationship with Jesus. And so that's as Jesus defined it. That is everlasting life. At the end of our lives, Jesus isn't going to be giving us a theology test, you know, and if we get enough right, then we're in, we're good. You know, at the end of our life, it's either we know him and he knows us or we don't. At the end of our lives, that's going to be the only thing that matters. And so as we minister to one another, we're not trying to, to bring people into our great teaching or our great ministry. What we're trying to do is push people to pursue and know the biblical Christ, right? To love Jesus and to obey Jesus and to worship Jesus. And so consider for you, what is it that you want at the end of your life? When you're looking back, what is it that you want? How are you measuring success? Is it how many people are following you on social media? Is it how much money is in your bank account? What is it? Where is it that you, would, that you knew Jesus well and you got to participate in, in the church of the maturing of people toward Christ? I mean, that's ultimately what we should want. And then verse 13 continues by saying that our spiritual growth leads To mature manhood. Mature manhood. This doesn't have anything to do with masculinity. It's just talking about the maturity of a body. And so this tells us that this is going to be a gradual process. We don't have to have it all together quite yet. God is working in us. It's a gradual process, and it's leading to—this is good news for us. It is leading to a guaranteed promise that it will be to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ— Or in other words, we're going to be as mature as Jesus. And so when you think about a spiritually mature person, who comes to mind for you? I guess for you, it's it's probably not somebody who is insecure about their faith. It's probably not somebody who's half-hearted in their devotion or untrustworthy or selfish. It's probably more like the person Paul describes in verses 14 through 16. This is somebody with doctrinal stability and an increase of love in their life. Look at verse 14. He ex- illustrates this with that a non-example. He says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And so Paul is telling us, all right, don't be like the kid in the ocean. I think I've mentioned it before that, that for me, uh, you know, a family vacation to the beach is not a vacation for me, right? Because I'm sitting there and, and I'm stressed and I'm watching the girls as they get into the water. And I'm like, oh, I just don't want them to, you know, to be taken under because, you know, especially when they're smaller, right? They go into those waves and they're just kind of tossed around and, and thrown around. And, and I remember one time for us going to the beach and, and the girls were... Uh, they were trying to, you know, kind of swim and, and ride, you know, boogie boards, you know, just kind of like, you know, float on the waves. And I was just kind of watching them getting tossed around and thrown around because they were so little. And, and uh, I feel like I look down for like a second, and all of a sudden I look up, and, and they're like 50 yards out. And so I'm like, oh, man, i got to go and get them. And, and they're, just, they're just getting tossed around, right? But they're having a good time. They're getting tossed around. And so I had to go get them, and, and I was able to walk out and because, you know, because I'm a grown person. I was able to to walk and and stay uh, stay stable and steady as I went and got them. And that's the picture that Paul gives us here. That a spiritually immature person is one who is easily persuaded by false doctrine and, and cultural beliefs. But a spiritually mature person is steady and consistent in their faith. And when false teaching comes, it doesn't throw them around because they've got a solid foundation. So think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. This not only applies to us as individuals, but also to the church. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, floods came, winds blew and beat against the house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. It had been founded on Jesus Christ and his word. But then he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. So as we minister, we've got to teach people that there is a difference between truth and error. We've got to help them discern that difference, right? And in our culture, we are just kind of inundated with, with a lot of beliefs and a lot of pressure to believe certain things. You know, we're kind of encouraged to think, especially when it comes to Christian faith. You know, like the whole kind of philosophy and morality of Christ, like that part's good, but just don't believe that this stuff is actually true, right? And we're so influenced by materialism and superficiality, and it has made its way into the church, but we know that that's not what leads us to joy and peace. And even in the church, we're encouraged sometimes to emphasize the benefits of discipleship and just ignore the costs. And sometimes we're even influenced to think that our standing with God is based on merit and not grace, and you can see this whenever you mess up. Think about where you run when you mess up. Are you running to God, or are you running running from God? That'll let you know if your relationship with Jesus is is based on merit or grace, but in the midst of all the the wind and the waves of, of all this false teaching, we can have doctrinal stability, and so think about Matthew 14. Jesus is walking on water. Peter sees it. What's Peter doing? Peter's like, tell me to go out there because I want to walk on there too. And so Jesus is like, all right, come on, Peter. And so Peter is walking on water until when? Until he takes his eyes off of Jesus. Then he begins to sink. And so Paul here is saying, no longer be those children. That's the warning. That's what we're leaving behind. But the path forward, he says, is verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love. And so this is a reflection of maturity, but it's also a way that we build maturity in the church. And we often think sometimes in our culture that there is this, uh, this difference, this, this kind of um, a dissension between truth and love, right? Like it's two completely separate things. We've got the, the all-truth people. These are the facts-don't-care-about-your-feelings people, when really they probably need to say, I don't care about your feelings, right? Right? These are the guys, and just kind of follow me here with this illustration. I know it's kind of silly, but these are the guys where, if you're in front of people and you've got like a booger on your face, they're going to be the guys that are just going to call you out and tell you, you got the booger on your face because why? Facts don't care about your feelings, and it's a fact that you got something on your face. But then we've got the all-love people. They're the feelings-determine-your-facts people. And they're not going to say anything when when they see you like that, right? Because they don't want to judge. Like, maybe you meant to do that. I don't know. I don't want to assume what what you want to do, right? Everything's fine. Everything is good. And I don't want to embarrass you. And so they're not going to really say anything about it, right? They want to be tolerant of the booger on your face, right? But then there's the truth and love people. And these are the people that will pull you to the side and they'll let you know about what's going on in your face. And they'll hand you a tissue so that you can actually take care of it. And I know that that's a silly illustration, but at the same time, I think it's actually a good one. Because when it comes to this translation of speaking the truth in love, the word here that's, that, that translated speaking, it's actually not the, the greatest translation because we don't really have a word for what Paul uses here. The closest thing we have is truthing in love. That's what Paul is saying, that we should be truthing in love. This is speaking and living and interacting in truth in love. And so who is call, who's Paul calling us to be like? He's calling us to be like Jesus Christ, the ultimate truther, right? To those who were hurting, he was tender, but he was also direct. To those who were hard-hearted like the Pharisees, he risked offending them by telling them the truth at the the risk of hoping, man, he just wanted to to get through to their hearts. John 1:14 says Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so no matter what our ministry is, we're all called to speak the truth in love, it's got to be a priority for us because the way that people are going to hear the gospel, it's going to be through us speaking. And their willingness to listen might be because they know we love them. And so this needs to happen in the pulpit. It needs to happen in small groups. It needs to, to especially happen when there's disagreements in the church, when there, there are moments and opportunities for reconciliation. As one writer said, truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. And look, I know, speaking the truth in love, it, it can be a scary thing, right? And you know, there's no guarantee that people are going to receive it well. There's no, no guarantee that re- they're going to reciprocate it. But the, this does come with a promise, right? It comes with a promise in verses 15 to 16. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We're growing into Christ. He's the head of the church. We're growing into him, more like him, knowing him more. We're growing into him. And he says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. We are, we are held together by Christ. And it says, when each part is working properly, that's what we're shooting that's at. That's our goal. We want to work properly together. He says, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. But the inverse is also true, you know. And so we can't be this church with all these gifts and, and all these opportunities and just sit back. Uh, this last week, I was looking at something online, and I don't know, something popped up or a video or something, and, and uh, it reminded me of a guy that I heard speak one time. His name is Nick Vujicic, and he has this ministry called Life Without Limbs. Anybody heard of him? If not, you've got to look him up later. He's, he's got this ministry called Life Without Limbs, and the reason why it's called that is because he was born with no limbs, like no arms, no legs, nothing, and so if anybody ever had an excuse to not do anything, it was this guy. And so, but he was, he said he was changed by the gospel. He was, he was reading about that story how, how Jesus, uh, he heals the blind man and he explains in that situation that the reason why he was born blind was, was not because of his sin or his parents, but the reason why he was born blind was because the, the power of God might be shown through him. And so he thought, that must mean why I'm born this way. And so instead of sitting back and instead of doing nothing, instead of having an excuse like, I, I'm, how am I gifted? I can't even can't even walk. He can't even do basic things for myself. Instead, he said, no, I'm going to use what God gave me. And What did he have? He had a voice. He had an opportunity to speak. And because he is using what God has gifted him with, he has literally preached to millions of people the gospel. And so, man, if we look at anybody, he is, he's somebody with an excuse. He's somebody that, you, you, you can you can sit back, right? But he said, no, 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 God has gifted me. I'm doing something with this. And so if he can, we all can. We all have to grow in this area we're all called to build up the body and reach people with the gospel and 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 praise god because there really are so many of us in the church who are doing this so many of us active so many of us teaching and building up and discipling one another this this is definitely happening in the church but i do want to say too if, if you're somebody who who is here today and and maybe you're maybe you're new to church altogether. Or maybe you're new to this church, or maybe you just haven't engaged and for whatever reason it doesn't even matter what the reason is, but maybe you haven't engaged yet. I just want to encourage you to start with two really basic things. Here's those two basic things. First is is to, to to be consistent weekly with corporate worship, right? Make weekly corporate worship a priority. And so you're here, right? So you got off to a great start. This is our, our chance to, to celebrate the gospel together. It's to, to celebrate with fellow believers, to be equipped and encouraged in this way. And I want to encourage you, make this a priority. If you've got a family, show your family that this is a priority for you. And then secondly and importantly, and I'm saying importantly because for us, I think here, I think making this time a priority seems to be a, a more common thing. But the next thing that I'm talking about doesn't seem to be as much of a priority. And so here's what I'm saying invest in a small group of the church. Everything in Ephesians 4 is in the context of community. And so here we've got a variety of, of small groups. We've got Sunday school classes and Bible studies that meet and, and D groups and men's groups and women's groups. All kinds of different groups, different ages, different locations, different times to meet, all these different things. And, and so there's a, just a number of opportunities to connect. But we need to know that it's in these smaller settings that most of the life of the church can actually happen. In this type of a setting, we're kind of limited on what we can do. We can be equipped in this way. We can worship together, but getting to know one another, that's just not going to happen in a setting like this. But in that smaller group setting, we can we can be known. We can know other people. We can get equipped. We can contribute. We can be discipled and make disciples and care for one another and hold each other accountable and, and use our gifts and, most importantly, serve with one another. It provides that opportunity to serve with one another, to to, to be about the mission of the church that God has called us to. And so to get connected in that way, there is information on, on the website or the app, and that can be helpful to you. But I think the most effective way is, is to have a personal conversation. And so I know that I would love to talk with you after the service. If you're not connected in a small group in that way, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to maybe help you uh, connect with some of the leaders of those groups. And I know that the other elders would love to have that conversation, and any of the other uh, leaders who would love to have that conversation with you on how you can get connected. And so now as we, as we kind of wrap up, I just want to clarify two things about what we've been talking about the last few weeks. We've been talking about this God-glorifying church. We're talking about how we should walk and be united and that we're gifted and we need to serve. We're with one another. We've got these opportunities to connect in these groups. We're talking about all these things, but I want to clarify a couple things. The first is, <laughs> I just want to make it clear that this isn't like some plea for to get volunteers or to have higher attendance in the groups. This really is about our desire to be the church that God has called us to be. This really is about trying to be that family of God that we're described in, in the book of Ephesians. We're trying to go after that. I mean, and if not, if that's not our goal, then what in the world are we doing? Like, we're wasting a ton of time if that isn't our goal. And so that's the goal. It's not about... Grow in numbers. It's not about doing that. It's about being about what God has called us to be. And the second thing I want to clarify is this: this isn't an obligation. This is a privilege and an opportunity. And so, even though ministry can be challenging, and even though it costs some things at times, there really is nothing more rewarding or, with, or worthwhile to do in our lives. Because Jesus said, "This is this is the process by which we can grow. This is the process by which we can know Him more." and experience him work. And so this is a privilege. It's an opportunity. And so we need to just begin to dream about the possibilities, right? Dream about what it is that God might do in and among us. We've got all these gifts and, and all these abilities and all these opportunities and influence in our life. And that's been given to us by the God who Paul says can do immeasurably more than we ask or think. And so let's start dreaming and let's start getting to work and let's start seeing what God would do. Amen. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for speaking to us. And God, we thank you for showing us that this is the way that you've called us to grow and, and that you want us to, to realize our gifting and you want us to serve in different ways. and So God, we, we want to be about this because of what it leads us toward. It leads us to you. It leads us to more of you to greater knowledge and experience of you. Well, that's what we want. And we know that when we have just kind of a taste of that, like it's it's just, it's not enough. We need more and more and more. God, we really want to, to know you. We really want to love you. We want to serve you. And so again, as we've been praying, help us to be this kind of church. Help us to engage in You know, for those who aren't in a small group, help us to engage in. Help us to experience the life of the church. Help us to see how it is that you want to work. God, we love you. We pray this in Christ.